Every second Saturday in the month of May, there are lots of birdie things to do on that day. Thank you for tuning into Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. I'm Hannah and he's Eric. And we created this podcast to share adventures, sometimes misadventures, and our opinions that we have on different birding topics. We are definitely not experts in anything that we discuss that might be controversial. We want you to remember their own opinions, and they might be different from yours. So, uh, another two weeks of uh, COVID-19. Yeah, sticking sticking close to home, enjoying our local birds. Fortunately, we've had good weather recently, so it's uh, it's been easier to just hang out and watch birds. Yeah, well, it's... So, last... Went last week on April 29th, I had my wisdom teeth taken out. Oh my gosh. So I, it's been, it's been the perfect time to do that because there's nothing going on anywhere. So it's, I could, I could spend two days whining and then the rest of the time just taking it easy. But it was kind of funny though, because <laughs> like Eric's pretty durable. Like, you know, you drop him, he bounces. <laughs> and mo- most, I bounce back mostly. Yeah. Um, but he was like, you know, they tell you you're supposed to eat because like they want you to like move your mouth and like move, you know, your jaw and everything. So everything doesn't freeze up and like talk and everything. The the nurse was like, okay, don't just clench your mouth because then things aren't going to heal. And we're going to have to like, you know, help, help the healing process. Take a chainsaw and cut your mouth open or something. Yeah. I don't know. So <laughs> he was like, I'll be fine. I'll be fine, Hannah. Don't worry about it. And so that then was we, fine. But then we like get home from the you're getting your teeth out, and I was like, "Are you hungry?" Like a couple hours later, I was like, "Are you hungry? You want something to eat?" And you're like, "No, no, I'm not hungry." I wasn't clenching my teeth or anything though. I was, I just I wasn't hungry. I know, but the thing was, she was like, "You need to eat something. Eat something on the way home. Eat something." <laughs> and I was just trying to make you eat, and you weren't eating. That, so she had very conflicting messages because she was like, "Eat something on your way home. Eat as soon as you get home." But then she was also like. Here's this gauze. Leave this gauze in your mouth for the next four hours. It's like, how am I supposed to eat if I've got this gauze shoved in my mouth? That doesn't make any sense. That's right, and you can't like suck through a straw. Can't so. suck through. I can't do anything. Like, what do you what do you mean? So I was I I was prioritizing the gauze and letting the bleeding stop before, like that that was I don't know very conflicting information from this lady. I don't know. I just <laughs> I was just trying to be like a good helper, and you were you were doing good being a butthead. So you did great. <laughs> yeah. Other Eric-related news, he shaved his beard, so that's not cool. Yeah. So I joined, and I'm going to start training to be a volunteer firefighter for our uh, local local district here in Cannon Beach, and part of the requirements is that I have to wear the appropriate safety gear. So to wear an SCBA, you have to have a nice tight fit around your mouth and nose, which means no beard. I could have a mustache, but Hannah said it kind of looked oh, like a pedophile. It looked so awful. Like it was. It, it wasn't was, a good look. It was super red, so it looked like you just had this horrible sunburn on <laughs> your mustache or like your upper lip. <laughs> so now um, I sh- I shaved my whole whole beard off, and it's uh, which he hasn't done in like twelve years. Yeah, at least at least twelve years since I've had a clean face. So I have nice dark tan and freckles and everything on my forehead and my nose and my upper cheek. And then I have like this reverse beard thing going on where I don't have any freckles and it's going to it's going to look weird. I imagine for probably a year at least before it like doesn't look weird and then and by then I'm sure I'll be single. Hannah's going to have a new husband. I'm going to move on to my backup husband. <laughs> 
I mean, you should have known this going into I, it. I knew. I just, I, I thought maybe I could hide it. Like, during COVID, I can, I'm, I've can. i been wearing a mask as much as possible so you don't see my <laughs> face. It's just hidden behind this fabric. The, the, this fabric we got from... Uh, Leslie. From Leslie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's making me go back to high school. The last time I saw you clean shaven. It's just, <laughs> it's weird. So that's our news. Um... And also, our hotel uh, that we manage for my parents is uh, closed now until June 2nd. We just got the word down from our local city council yesterday. So, um, yeah, we have about another month of trying this to find something to do and for now, not spending money. Yeah. <laughs> Which, fortunately, birding is um, once you get all the gear, it's fairly cheap if you do it locally. If you do it locally, yeah. All yeah. I want to do, though, is, Walking like, up and down the walking roads is free. All I want to do right now, though, is, like, go on, go in some jungles. Like, all <laughs> I can think about is going to Costa Rica or I, I saw a picture this morning that somebody took, a, like, a bunch of cardinals and, like, regular birds that they had at their feeder and, like, photoshopped on, like, big mohawks so that they're, like, Yucatan jays or, like, they're just, like, these weird, like, all sorts of really cool tanagers and stuff that they photoshopped their cardinals into, so... I think we're almost at that point now with our song sparrows and well, and also right now is migration like uh, yeah and west I'm sorry, but West Coast migration is just not as cool as like Central Flyway and like the Atlantic Flyway migration. So it's our second year being here for this migration, and it's just like I wish there were more warblers. Well, last year we we went down to do the Texas. That's uh, true. The um, Great Texas Birding Classic. So we we had a couple days away, and then we came back. But this year we're, we're we're living it through through to the end. You guys, we have like it's three warblers. It's no, we've we've got some pretty good. We have common yellow throats, black throated gray. We hardly see common yellow throats. Yeah, we we hardly see them. Okay, so we, yeah, we common yellow throats, black throated grays, yellow rumps, orange crowns, hermit, Wilsons, Wilsons, Townsend, Townsend. So that's like eight. Yellow. Yellow. Nine. Apparently, McGillivarys exist, but, Apparently. you know, I've never seen one. Somebody had a Nashville recently. Okay, so that's like 10. Yeah, we're, we're getting 11. up there. There's there's some good mig- migrants here. But I think, like... <laughs> the, the numbers are not what they are in the Central Flyway, for sure. I going to say, I but... think at High Island, it's like 40 or something. <laughs> but but it's it's different. It's different staying home for the entire migration season. So everyone, treasure your patch yeah. and the cool things you see. And I'm trying to do that, too. <laughs> um, so we are drinking beers because we like to drink beers. and Because we're in quarantine. And yeah. that's, that's what you do. So we're drinking the same ones that we drank in another episode. I've got Hazy Days by Rogue. It's a hazy pale ale that's fruity. I like it. Yeah, I'm drinking the Bat Squatch Hazy IPA from Rogue. So it's, uh, it's the big giant Rogue pack from Costco. The supply drop. The supply drop. So we don't. We don't have a lot of stores that we can go to, especially now. You guys, our town has like, what? it's like, what did I say, 1,800 res- yeah, residents? Yeah, it's between 1,800 and 2,000. And our store only allows 10 people in at a time, so we try to get through quickly. Yeah. We, well, we want to be respectful of the people that really need time to shop. We can, yeah. We, can, we know what we want generally. We get in and out, so. Yeah. We don't want to dilly-dally too much. So, last episode, what was the, the listenership? What do we got? Who, who, who listened from where? <laughs> Man, so it's pretty consistent between this episode and last episode. 
but Blackheath, England, you guys have got it again. You guys were the highest listenership um, of our last episode. And then close runner-up was Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So thank you all for tuning in and listening to us. We really appreciate it. And as always, if you have a weird town name or you want to hear me stumble over your town name, even if it's normal, like I just, I can't figure out if it's, I want to say Bethlehem and not, but... (laughs) But I looked it up. It's the same as like in the... As in, in Bible? Yeah. Okay. It's spelled the same. And I always heard it called Bethlehem. But now I'm like, is it Bethlehem? I don't know. So there's that. So thank you guys for listening and everyone else. And we also got a recommendation on Facebook. We didn't, we didn't get any reviews, right? No. No. So we, we, but we did get a recommendation on Facebook, which is just as good as a review. Yes. And it goes, uh, it's from our friend Beth. And thank you so much, Beth. It says, Hannah and Eric are super knowledgeable birders whose enthusiasm is contagious. They're, they've also uh, been really helpful with bird ID questions I've had and are always informative in their responses. And um, so Beth is referring to that she messages us birds all the time and asks us <laughs> for advice on what it is. And usually she's right on her IDs. Oh, she's, she's I think, 95 or 90, 98% of the time she's right. But she, she just wants someone to confirm it for her and, like, Help her feel like she really got it. And if you ever want us to help you ID something, of course, we don't know all 10,000 species of birds, but we're happy to help uh, direct you or or give, you know, insight. So feel free to send us birds if you'd like. Or we, we could we could also kind of direct people how to use Merlin, too. That's that's a fun thing. Yeah, that's fun, too. Yeah. Um. So that was, that's the news, right? That's that's what we got for news? Yeah, I think I, so. I think that's the news. So um, last week, we finally got... A lifer that we have been. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna put this finally got in quotes, but it's still there. It's still still a word that exists. Um, a lifer that we've been looking for for months now, years now, that occurs all over the place. And right now, there are people that live in our county that are seeing these at their feeder. There's people that live all over the state that are seeing them at the feeder. And they're, they're everywhere, all over the Pacific Northwest, the evening grow speak. But we cannot, for the life of us, find them. It doesn't matter what we do. We can't find them. So I've been, like, <laughs> doing the target species on eBird. Like, every night, I'm like, okay, target species for evening grow speak to see, like, where people have been seeing them. And so we found that at this fish hatchery that's not far from us, uh, that, like, maybe 30 minutes, that somebody yeah. had been seeing them pretty regularly. And so we were like, okay... Let's get up, go to the fish hatchery. So we did that, got there, gates were closed. Locked, COVID. Um, So, I mean, like, there were regular lists. There was one there from, like, the day before. So I was like, okay, you know, maybe it's open. Maybe hatcheries are, you know, not closed for whatever reason. And so we figured it's got to be the hatchery manager. It's got to be the manager. Yeah, or someone that lives there. So that's... Kind of a bummer, and but you know, I mean, it's not like eBird can go through and say like everything is closed. Yeah. Well, and so we should use common sense. If we, it's going to be closed. We, I think common sense, everything's closed. But we're we're trying to lean towards it. it it's still within our, it's still within our county. It's like one town over, like technically, like one town to the east. Yeah, <laughs> you have to go through the mountains to get to it, but it's it's right right over there. So it's it's kind of in our general vicinity, and so we figured well. It's generally near us. It's not that far to go to. And there's, like, nobody out here in this county anyways. So it's probably pretty safe for, safe in terms of uh, social distancing and, 
like staying away from people to get to go to, but then we get there and it's closed. So then so. we were like driving back, you know, the other way, um, to get back to the house. And I was like looking at eBird hotspots and I was like, okay, is there anything between here and the house? And I found one that had like no eBird list at, I think it had like five total and like some really good birders in the state had been there and made lists, Yeah. but it's like a total of five. So I was like, okay, let's just stop off there for a little while and see if we can find anything. And, um, we're, there was one car there, which was kind of surprising. And so like, especially since we drove up like this, it was a side road off a side road. And it said trail closed anyways. Yeah. But so it said trail closed, but the name of the trail that was closed was not the name of the trail that we were going to. The marker was on. Yeah. So it was, I think one trail was closed unrelated to COVID. I think there was a washout and then there was, and, but there was, it was like the main trail that people go there for. The, the one was the one that was closed. And so we were going to this random side trail off that. Which was like, birding up, it was super frustrating. Because sometimes birding in the Pacific Northwest is frustrating. Because it's all forest, and you're just hearing birds, and you're not seeing anything. And like, sure, we can ID by hear, by you know sound and everything. The majority of species. But I also really want to see them, too. Yeah. Because I yeah, like sure, seeing we can, birds. Yeah, we, we, can, we can listen to a Wilson Warbler all day, but... Like to watch them is so much more fun than to literally only hear them off in the off in the trees. So I was getting like super frustrated that I wasn't seeing anything. Everything is just you know calling, uh, but Eric was like, "No, let's just go a little further, a little further." So we ended up. It's, like, it's my trick every time. Like, well, let's let's just. It looks like it's gonna lighten up up here. Let's just go like fifty more feet. I'm like, like a around child this, around this next corner. We can like, we can go around this next. Oh, corner. Oh, let's look at that flower, Hannah. <laughs> like look at this. There's a corner. We'll just go around this corner. It'll be fine. We get around that corner. Oh, look, it's really light over there. Let's just go to the end of the straightaway. Wow. <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> anyway, so I was getting frustrated, and Eric was playing his little game with me, apparently. <laughs> and uh, so we got up to a clearing that was, like, the road. Like, we got up to a road that was logging road, and then there was a clear cut on the other side of the road. And so I started down the logging road a little bit further, and we're looking at birds, and we thought we heard some quail, and... Um, I don't even know how we noticed them. So there was there was a couple of house finches flying, mm-hmm. and that that's what first drew us to like looking up and looking at the random couple things. And there's very few things flying around up high. It was like one or two birds at a time, but they they flew over us, and then we watched them go all the way down to the tree line, which is probably two hundred yards, three hundred yards away, and then. Randomly, another bird would fly up and fly over the top of us, and so we'd watch it for a long time fly up and over us. And most, it was pretty much, I think there was one goldfinch that we saw, and the rest of them were all, like, house finches, initially. And then, finally, we saw something that was bigger, and looked more exciting, but it stayed, it didn't come over us, it only came, like, halfway between us and the, and the, um, tree line, so it's, it's, it's a good 100 yards away, 150 yards away, and just flied, flied, just flew, uh, just kind of parallel to us along the tree line, and it was an evening grosbeak. Yep, and then Finally. we were like watching, watching, watching. And they took off, and, and they just were gone. Yeah, we 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 saw like the its chest and face for like a second, and then it turned and just kept on flying away. And then we saw its butt until it turned into a dot off in the distance. And this was like our nemesis bird, <laughs> and we had the worst looks at it. it. Was awful. And so we were just both <laughs> walking away mad, like I can't believe this. <laughs> This is crap. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but well, we saw it, and it was it was an identifiable look at it, but it was just kind of like, eh. 
It's not what you want. Especially since everyone everyone around around this area <laughs> right now. Like I go, I go on to birding the Facebook pages for Birding Oregon, Pacific Northwest Birders, Western Washington Birders, and they're all posting. Like every single person's posting like Hey, what's this bird? And it's an evening grosbeak in their backyard. Hey, what's this no. bird? It's an evening grosbeak. Or look at the, the evening grosbeaks came and there were like 10 of them in their yard. And it's like, we're like, we're running around our county, running, running around. We've been doing it for like two years now. <laughs> just like racing around trying to find it and we're, we're never going to see them. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. So. That's what we get for wanting to see a bird. We just don't get to see it. Moral of the story. <laughs> yeah. Moral of the story. If you want to see a bird, just stop wanting to see it and you'll see it. <laughs> so anyways, um, this episode that we bring you today, uh, after all our our fun banter, <laughs> is about um, May 9th of 2020, and it is just a day filled with bird-related activities. And uh, so we interviewed a couple folks talking about what their organizations are doing for May 9th, and uh, there's the World Migratory Bird Day and Global Big Day. And so we have somebody that we interviewed for each one. And normally when we do interviews, we only like to do it in person because we like to, you know, be able to talk to the person a little bit more and make everybody feel more comfortable about it because interviewing is kind of a weird thing. Well, well and we, we want everything to be conversational and have like a one-on-one that we're just hanging out, to a couple people just chatting, not that we're pestering someone with a bunch of questions and trying to like squeeze information out of this person or have them come with a prepared like statement we want we want people to like be able to converse and we can we can ask them random questions and we can see where the conversation takes us but uh because of covid and because of social distancing requirements and all that we have had to make some modifications to our normally regularly scheduled interviews (laughs) (laughs) so these interviews were both done on zoom and that's why we bring you that whole um Big long explanation. Yeah, so they're on <laughs> Zoom, and this is our first uh, time doing Zoom interviews, so it may sound a little rough. This will be fun. Um, first up, we have uh, Jenna Curtis. Um, we talked to her. She works. She works for um, eBird, and she's uh, outreach outreach coordinator. She does a whole bunch of whole bunch of stuff, getting people information about um, the Global Big Day and everything eBird has to offer. So, listen, Jenna. Up. Uh, well, we have Jenna Curtis from eBird joining us uh, for a discussion, at, or for, you know, so we can get some information <laughs> on the Global Big Day. So thank you so much, Jenna, for joining us. Um, can you give us a little background about who you are and what you do for eBird? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I recently joined the eBird team as project leader in January, and my focus is on engagement and education with the eBird community. So helping our eBird users understand and use the system more effectively, and also helping our uh, data reviewers and regional editors to ensure that we get the best quality data possible for science and conservation. Oh, okay. So are you involved in like, uh, like, choosing or helping like assign where reviewers are and stuff then or is that uh I do help with setting up assignments but we prefer that our reviewers are volunteers who sign themselves up so we, uh, uh, yeah. we yeah. love it when people contact us and say I'd like to be a reviewer for this area <laughs> it's growing so, okay. every day and we love it so is community your engage, engagement um your background is that like what you've gotten uh done your career in or your schooling <laughs> Uh, So I helped to coordinate a baseline benchmark bird survey in Oregon during my PhD, and that's where I got started with citizen science, was helping Oregonians to explore new parts of the state and collect bird data 
for places that we had never had bird data before. And so it was really exciting to, to be a part of this statewide project and explore new corners of Oregon that I'm, I'm from Oregon originally, and I had never been to some of these places before. It was really exciting. Was that the Oregon 2020? That's correct. Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, we, fantastic. yeah, we tried to participate in that, but um, found that it, our lives are a little too busy. <laughs> yeah, we're too busy to actually do the real, the, the actual submissions that they wanted for 2020. Well, we used every checklist that came in from Oregon that year for, for parts of the analysis. So uh, if you even eBirded in Oregon during the project, chances are that your data was, was used for some of our, our publications. Oh, good. Oh, good, good. Yeah, that, we, we contacted the, um, I can't remember the gentleman's name. It might have been Doug Robinson. Maybe. Yeah, that's my PhD advisor. Oh, nice. Yeah, we, we, we emailed him and he, was, he gave us like the, what, what specifically they want. Just go, go to an area and make a... Um, a stationary list or a movie. He, he gave us the parameters that they were looking for. And then I don't think I made a single list in any of those locations that was exactly <laughs> what he was looking for. But I, I, I just birded the way I normally eBird. So I was like, well, oh well. That's true. I should say we didn't use every checklist. We did have certain criteria that we eventually filtered out so that we were focusing on stationary checklists from personal locations that were more mm -hmm. than two minutes and less than an hour long. Um, I don't remember the exact specifics, but uh, just getting people out and birding and trying to, to use eBird was definitely a great benefit of the project. Well, that sounds yeah. like this job is the perfect thing for you. Um, since you've done it in your PhD, you just roll on into Ithaca and be ready. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, this is a dream come true. That's awesome. Well, um, so the global big day is coming up on May 9th, and uh, we know we're going to participate in it. Oh, and every time. Yeah. <laughs> um, could you give us a little background into like how, maybe how the Global Big Day started and um, like what what you're asking people to do? So Global Big Day is an opportunity for everyone around the world to come together on a single day and celebrate the birds that are around them. So uh, Global Big Day is a chance to uh, in years past, it's been to get out of the house and see how many different species you can see. And this year, we're focusing on how many checklists you can submit so that no matter where you are, uh, you can participate. The, we just ask that people uh, look at the birds, count birds, and submit an eBird checklist. And that makes you a participant in Global Big Day. And it's a chance for us to uh, take a moment to get all of our participants together and say, who's birding around the world and what are you seeing? What are the birds that are near you? Um, and celebrate global bird diversity. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So the um, so this year you're trying to shift the focus away from number of species to number of checklists. For, that's for right. Everyone. We we actually think with eBird's growth, eBird grows about twenty percent over the previous year, and we think that this year we stand a good chance with all of our participants and the increased interest in birding recently that we could break the the global record for checklists submitted in a single day. So our goal for this year's Global Big Day is to surpass 100,000 checklists of birds on a single day. Wow, that's amazing. That's a lot of checklists. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely be doing our part with our probably five or six that I imagine we'll probably submit. <laughs> that's maybe, right. we'll, maybe we'll have to up it to eight just yeah, so we'll, we get we'll closer to, to yeah, 100,000. We'll make smaller lists and, <laughs> and get a couple extras in there. All it takes is one. And if you submit three checklists uh, during Global Big Day, you'll be entered into, win a, uh, into a drawing to win a free pair of Zeiss binoculars. Nice. Okay. I, I have been trying to win those Zeiss binoculars for like three years now. <laughs> <laughs> this, could be, this could be your month. It could be. 
finally, hopefully. <laughs> All it takes is three complete checklists on, on May 9th. So um, I have, I've seen all those articles coming out about, you know, more people are birding now because of the pandemic and all that. Um, have you guys seen like a, a amount of growth, like, you know, with new e-birders and new lists or things like that outside of just the U.S.? Like, are there other countries that are growing with birders right now? Yeah. So across the board, we saw, um, so typically around the world, we see about 20% growth. And this past April, we saw over 40% growth. So wow. we what we expected for growth last month. Um, and it's coming in from all over the world. Uh, there is a lot of variation in terms of each country, just as more e-birders come into the system. If you already come from a country with a lot of e-birders, um, your growth might not be as big as a country with very few e-birders to begin with. Uh, but across the board, just growth has been way above what we expected. And we're so excited to see people sharing their birding experiences with us. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. India is a particularly notable example. They uh, coordinated a backyard birding competition, a stay-at-home yard birding competition, and they saw massive growth from that. It was great to see them kind of do a grassroots birding effort using eBird. Hmm. Well, that's awesome. Um, so uh, in the past years of the global big days, have you noticed like any big trends? Um, like, has it been, you know, um, more birders that day or, you know, just a ton of new species or is it pretty, uh, pretty consistent from year to year? Uh, it grows every year. So, and we don't even really know what each year is going to bring us. Uh, we do know that a global big day is a opportunity for a lot of brand new people to come into the eBird system who've never used eBird before. They may have friends or colleagues who are doing Global Big Day and they hear about it through the news or through their community and they say, oh, I'd like to participate in this. And so they go out with a team or they, they talk to their friends about it and they join eBird for the first time on Global Big Day. And so we're excited to see how many people will join us for the first time ever this year. Huh. So um, the the higher numbers of people posting, I, I know this year is kind of a different anomaly that there's weird stuff going on. But um, in general, I know every year checklists go up on, on Global Big Day and number of species go up because there's more people out there birding. Do you have any idea if that's just um, coming from higher, higher usership of eBirds, so like more people in the world using it? Or do you think it has anything to do with a higher percentage of actual eBird users using it, like more more engagement with the actual eBird, the current eBird uh, um, baseline. Uh, I think it's it's a combination of both, but definitely okay. we have a lot more users on the system in a single day on May on Global Big Day than any other day. Um, so last year we had th over thirty five thousand eBirders submit a checklist on uh, May fourth was wow. Global Big Day last year, over 35,000. And that's more yeah. than any other day. So what is the benefit that people are getting out of this? Um, and what's the benefit to you guys for people participating in this event? So the benefit to others is a chance to really appreciate and get to know the birds that are around you, even if it's in your own home or yard, an opportunity to, to check in with the birds and see uh, what species are new for that day that you may not have ever seen in your yard before. Um, or to pay attention to what how birds change throughout the day. If you submit three checklists, you could do one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and one in the evening, and get completely different sets of birds throughout the day, and kind of appreciate 
their activities and their behaviors and how they change as they go through, go through their daily routines. And for citizen science, this is an amazing opportunity to get a snapshot of bird diversity and, and help us kind of understand uh, where birds are at any given time, what they're doing, how many there are, that sort of thing. Every checklist matters and is valuable to help us better understand bird populations. You know, that's a really good point about um, doing a checklist in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. Like we live on the Oregon coast and um, Eric was just saying yesterday yeah. about how uh, much the, the birds vary based on just the tides. And so like, that's something that you should really consider, like, you know, participants can really consider to, to get a big diversity is like going back to the same place, you know, dependent on time of day, or, um, you know, if there are changes like tides, or, mm -hmm. you know, river cold flow weather. or something like, yeah, or no, weather. Cold, cold front blows in the middle of the afternoon, go back to the same spot and see what's changed. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and some people, I feel like sometimes people are concerned, like, oh, it's just the same birds as last time. Why do they need this data again? But if the time of day is different, if the date is different, that's brand new data for us as researchers. And so it doesn't matter if the species are, same, are the same. It's the, just the uniqueness of that data that counts. Yeah. And I think something that other people don't realize is the presence absence, you know, is, is really beneficial too. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's great data. I posted on um, Twitter a couple weeks ago to like the, the Nept birder, if you follow them, they post like um, really bad pictures <laughs> that people have taken. And I said like, Oh, this, you know, we checked this whole field and this one specific species of bird isn't there <laughs> because I was thinking, you know, that's a really good data point. Like, in this whole field, common yellow throats don't exist. I checked it. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> and about you it. check it again and again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that that's um, that's a great way to think about it. I think is you know keep going back to the same place because that data is really valuable and interesting. Um, because sometimes something might be there, and sometimes it'll be it won't be there. Exactly. And those changes throughout the day and throughout the year. That's what makes birds so interesting. They are so mobile. Uh, they respond really quickly to, to the environment around them and to weather and climate and food. And so the, the more checklists we get, the finer details and the higher resolution we can get uh, for bird data. You, you can change those 10 kilometer maps all the way down to one kilometer maps. For, <laughs> oh, for someday. Range. Yeah, 30 meter <laughs> maps. We're going yes. for it. <laughs> oh, man. So is there any research uh, that pulls like the specific information? Like, so... Um, at the end of May 9th or, you know, on May 10th, when you guys are compiling all this information and you come up with that, that great information sheet for the eBird users, you know, that say like you saw this many birds, and this many checklists and all that. Is there like um, research going on at Cornell or maybe another university that specifically uses that data and compares it to last year's data for maybe like something that's more um, involved than what you guys uh send us? It's entirely possible that someone may be looking at that. Unfortunately, I'm not aware of it, but um, we always love it when people write in and share their research and their stories with us. So I would welcome anyone who's using global big day data to help inform their research or conservation to please reach out to us, send, send us an email with your studies and, and we'll love to share them. Yeah, I think that's something that um, maybe other people don't think of, but we interviewed Nicole Mitchell, who uh, works for National Audubon Society a couple of years ago, or a couple of years ago, a couple of months ago. <laughs> and uh, she told us how our, um, our, geez, Christmas bird count data 
is being used and you know it, they came up with a report recently like the three billion birds report that all of this information is going to that i just never even realized like what we're doing with ebird with checklists and things like that actually are contributing to this information so i always think that's really cool to find out how we're helping scientists and yeah that's what citizen scientists are for yeah exactly have you had a chance to check out ebird's science and uh the science trend maps yet oh yeah and animated yeah, those, abundance maps those are so cool i I can't remember the first one that you guys came out with, but I was just, I was blown away, like, was it like two years ago, I think, or a year ago, when the the first one came out, I was like, this is amazing, and then <laughs> yeah, I, couldn't, I, I, could, I couldn't wait for more to come, so I could, I could watch, like, the, the whole swamp of whoosh as it comes yeah. up. Yeah, and now that we've incorporated Central and South America, you just, for a lot of these warblers and other birds, you get their entire life cycle and, and entire annual cycle in one map. And it is just so fun to watch uh, and see birds as they travel throughout the year. Or pie-billed grebe is one. I had no idea the distribution of a pie-billed grebe went all the <laughs> way down to Argentina and wow. their little movements throughout the year. It was just so fascinating. And so now, now that these abundance maps are available, uh, we do know that researchers and conservationists and land trusts are are grabbing that data and using it to inform their policies and their management on the ground so that they can time things or understand the extent of the abundance of certain species in their local areas. That's and incredible. So there's a great example of eBird data from citizen scientists being used for just groundbreaking, totally revolutionary uh, statistics that are now being used for conservation. It's It's great. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, the you, you mentioned earlier um, that you're in Ithaca now. You you originally uh, spent a lot of time here um, where we're at over in Oregon. Do you have um, a, a favorite bird that uh, you miss seeing from from over here in Oregon? Uh, it's probably very thrush. Very thrush. <laughs> yeah, the the way they just hop around the ground and and dig in the leaves, and they've got that that beautiful orange chest with the necklace on it. I think. That's a, that's a bird that I'm definitely missing out. Oh, and bush tits. Oh, yeah. Oh, bush tits in Ithaca. And I just miss their little, their little flocky, their flocks flying by. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I remember sitting in my office during my PhD and waiting for bush to the clock when the <laughs> flock would fly past the window. You know how they do a little oh, yeah. one by one from bush to bush. Um, yeah, a stripping sad, a bear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had a sad moment thinking that I would not be experiencing that out here. Um, oh, I miss bush tits. Well, do, do you have you found um, a favorite in Ithaca yet, or are you uh, still waiting for that favorite to jump out? Uh, each day, it's a new favorite. It's whatever bird has arrived for migration. That is my favorite <laughs> bird that day. So it's been catbird and uh, Baltimore Oriole and mm. Nashville Warbler recently was a new new addition. Um, I'm keeping a yard list out here, and so whoever's new for the yard gets top of the list that day. <laughs> So today's rose-breasted grows week. Oh, that, that's a good bird. Yeah, it's beautiful. So um, you'd said that people can participate by submitting uh, checklists on that day on May 9th. And um, that if they submit three, then they're entered into a drawing for a pair of Zeiss binoculars. Is there anything else that people should know about being involved for May 9th? Uh, that every checklist counts. Um, all it takes is one checklist to be a participant. And even if you're at home, one thing that I, I love to share is that home checklists are in some ways the most unique and valuable checklists because public birding areas, uh, a lot of birders tend to visit. Anyone can go there and submit a birding checklist, but only you 
can submit eBird checklists from your home. It's private property. And so if you don't submit those checklists, no one else will. And so uh, backyard checklists are, are completely unique. Those are birds that no one else can count. Well, that's awesome. Thank you yeah. so much for joining us. Um, it's great information for, for the Global Big Day, and we look forward to participating. Thanks so much. Uh, we hope, we'll look forward to seeing if we can beat this 100,000 checklist record. Well, thank you so much, Jenna, for like putting up with uh, my ineptitude on how to, <laughs> how to run a Zoom uh, recording for a podcast. I, I know a lot of people do Zoom for their podcast. They use other things too, but uh, it's my first time. So that was exciting and fun. Yeah, and we learned a lot of great information <laughs> oh, about seriously. the uh, Global Big Day. And, yeah. we're of course, we're excited to participate. And As we are every year. I know. And like I said, you know, we'll probably do, like, eight lists, but it'll probably end up being, like, ten or twelve. Yeah, we'll see. Eric likes to do hourly lists. I So, that's you got to be accurate. You, you don't want to go over too long. you gotta you got to keep keep breaking up your list into, into pieces. That way you're, you don't see a bird four hours from now that is on a list that started at seven. So... Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So um, thank you, Jenna, again. And next we have uh, Susan, who works for the Environment for the Americas. And they're the body that really coordinates the World Migratory Bird Day, which is also on May 9th this year. And um, take it away, Susan. We're sitting virtually here with, uh, with Susan Bonfield from uh, the... Environment for the Americas. I'm going to stutter over everything before I even get started. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the Environment for the Americas, um, to talk about World Migratory Bird Day. Um, so, uh, Susan, you want to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and what you do. Sure. I'm Susan Bonfield. I am the Director of Environment for the Americas, and we're a nonprofit organization based in Boulder, Colorado. And our organization, one of our keystone education programs, is World Migratory Bird Day. I've been working with the program also up almost since it was created, which is going to date me. Uh, but it was created <laughs> in 1993, and I started working with it in about 1995 or 1996 uh, when I worked at another bird-focused organization. So it's always been near and dear to my heart, and I was so excited when our organization was able to take on the responsibility for coordinate, coordinating the program across the Americas. So are you a birder? I am a birder. Nice. Yes. <laughs> and did you work in the, the bird field because you were a birder or did it just happen that way? Oh, well, that's always an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> so when I, yeah, I know how things happen, right? So when I was in my master's degree program, I was actually convinced I was going to be a mammalogist and I was strongly influenced by Jane Goodall. Uh, mm. My master's project didn't work out the way I wanted it to. And I was I was looking for a different research project and it landed me in Alaska working on the black-legged kittiwake. Oh, wow. And oh, nice. I've never strayed from birds since. So <laughs> that is how I became a, a bird. You know, that's how I started doing bird research and then became a birder. Awesome. Nice. So um, this, this year marks the 27th year, I, I guess. Is that 27 that's from 93? Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to do math on the fly, but <laughs> um, so what, what exactly is it? What, what, have, what's been happening for 27 years? What, what are we celebrating? How, how is, what is it? <laughs> oh, one thing I love about World Migratory Bird Day is that it's always at the same time that it's always very focused on a single issue, which is bird conservation. 
-hmm. it is always new. So every year is a new event, which really keeps me and other people enthusiastic about, you know, doing the program every year. Uh, what we do is we want to raise awareness of migratory birds, uh, just the amazing phenomenon of migration and how people can get involved in learning about birds, learning to watch birds, and also learning the simple actions that they can take to help birds. Um, when the program started in 1993, it was actually International Migratory Bird Day, and we've grown so much since then that, you know, if we get into this later in this conversation, um, it became World Migratory Bird Day two years ago. Okay. So over the years, uh, what we've done is in 2000, the year 2000, we implemented uh, kind of a, a conservation theme each year, and that helps to guide us in the development of our education materials and conversation uh, so that everybody who participates in World Migratory Bird Day is sharing the same messaging and, and able to work towards the same goals in terms of bird conservation. So over the years, those topics have been pretty exciting and very interesting. They're always uh, just so fascinating and they bring in new partners and people and experts and, you know, researchers and just, you know, all kinds of people who work on these topics. So we've We've studied everything from, um, for example, bird-friendly coffee and habitat loss, um, collisions, and of course, last year, plastic pollution. So, uh, so we're busy every year. Yeah. So, what's uh, this year's theme then? If, like you said, plastics and stuff for last year, what's uh, what do we got in, st in store for us uh, this Saturday? Well, 2020 has been amazing. Uh, 2020, our our cons conservation theme is birds connect our world. And okay. that actually became relevant in so many different ways than we had anticipated uh, <laughs> because of the current pandemic, of course. Yeah. So uh, one of the focuses that we have had is on the tracking technologies that help us to actually learn where birds go and migrate and uh, where they end and where they start and where they stop in between. And so we, we began our year with uh, looking at those tracking methodologies and talking with researchers and uh, learning about the routes and, you know, some of the different conservation issues and threats that are on the ground for these birds or, you know, when, depending on where they are in the world. Um, so we're still continuing with that work and highlighting it on our website and other in our education materials. But we're also, you know, recognizing that we're in a different time and a different place right now and that birds are connecting us in different ways through their migrations. And we're you know, encouraging people to take those actions at home that can help birds, uh, mm -hmm. even though we're stilled and uh, taking a pause in our movements, birds are not. And so they continue to connect us. Well, that's awesome. Um, and so I see that there's uh, hundreds of events that happen on May 9th uh, for the World Migratory Bird Day. How does um, Environment for the Americas work into all of this? Well, we're the coordinating organization and what we do is we make it easy for anyone to participate in World Migratory Bird Day. So we create the entire framework that a group would need to host a program or an event or an activity. It doesn't have to be a full-blown festival, but we have many of those as well. Uh, so each year we, we start with the development of the conservation theme and that's you know, created by and approved by a, a panel and advisory committee that we have. We want to make sure that it's pertinent and relevant to participants from Canada to Argentina and the Caribbean. 
Uh, once that's selected, uh, we choose an artist who's going to create who creates the art for the program. And that's art is um, kind of central to the program. It's been an important part of World Migratory Bird Day since its inception. And we, uh, we choose an artist from some part of the Americas each year. So we've had artists from Haiti and Colombia, Canada, wow. United oh, States. Uh, last year, we had an artist from Cuba. And this year, we have an artist from the United States, Sherry York, who's done an amazing job. So uh, we began to develop the art. And every species that we pick for the art is a reflection of our conservation theme. Uh, so, for example, the species that we picked this year were chosen because of some of the different tracking technologies that have been used to find out where they go and uh, help us to inform conservation action. Um, once we've got the art developed, we, uh, we began on our education materials and downloadable materials. They're in print and available on the web as well, and education through the internet. And then we work very hands-on in communities across the Americas so that we're involved in trainings and workshops and uh, webinars to help people understand the issue and to get them involved in it on the ground in their communities. Wow, that's awesome. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yes, it is. And a we lot of coordination. Of it. <laughs> so um, the... You, you said you guys um, facilitate getting people to be able to participate um, in the World Migratory Bird Day. Um, what's, what does participation look like for just the average Joe Schmo citizen out there that wants to, wants to get involved? Oh, well, that, that is just it. it. It is anything that you want it to be or can be. Uh, it can be a personal action at a personal level. Mm -hmm. I know last year when we did the plastic pollution campaign, uh, we had people sending in, you know, maybe their family went out and did a plastic pollution cleanup on the beach and they'd send us a photo. Uh, that's great. That's what we want to see. We want to see that people have learned about birds and they're out doing something to help them. Uh, some people do, some groups do a dawn chorus a bird watching event, teaching people about birds and doing a count for that day. Um, other people do an education program and you know, one of the wonderful things about World Migratory Bird Day is that we can host it at so many different locations. So it's a, it's a program that's hosted at zoos, it's hosted at wildlife refuges, public, public lands, national parks, museums, schools. Uh, we just have so many activities going on at different places and it can look different in, in every place that it is, but also reach the, and accomplish the same goals. Well, that's awesome. Um, and it sounds like such a, a fun event. And um, so this year, 2020 is going to be a lot different uh, due to the pandemic. Are you seeing more and more virtual events that are happening? Oh, absolutely. So we've got, of course, the groups that are, you know, holding out and waiting to see if they can host their event later. And one of the mm. interesting things about World Migratory Bird Day is that when it was initially set up, it was it was established on the second Saturday in May. And we continue to host that date as the official date. Uh, but as you know, birds don't migrate on the same day. And we felt that that was excluding a number of organizations and locations that wanted to participate, but for whom either, you know, the birds hadn't arrived or they had already passed over. Um, for a while there, every year from Rocky Mountain National Park, they would send us a photo of their Migratory Bird Day event, and they would be standing in thigh deep snow holding a Migratory Bird Day poster. 
<laughs> well, obviously that wasn't a great day for them to go birding or to do any sort of educational activity. Uh, so we removed the official date from our materials to encourage organizations to celebrate when it works best for them and the birds. Uh, we now have events and activities every month of the year, although of course there is a, a big you know, concentration around the spring date. We also implemented a fall date to accommodate our Latin American and Caribbean participants because the other half. <laughs> well, why celebrate Migratory Bird Day if the birds aren't in your country? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so that was a really helpful um, change as well. And so now we have huge participation, you know, all the way down to Argentina and the Caribbean wow. and look forward to more of those events in the fall. Although, again, some of them do celebrate at other times of the year. That, that's interesting. So you, you mentioned the the snow, ha having pictures in the snow there. Um, is there any other event that sticks out more to you than that one over the past uh, 27 years that's just like unique or just like big or anything like that? Oh, they're all so fun and unique. Uh, you know, they're, and it's just the enthusiasm of the group. So for example, one year I got a call from a group in Louisiana and they were so excited and they called me up and they said, we're so excited. We're having a migratory bird day event and we got 10 people signed up. Oh, and that's awesome. Yeah, it was because they, they're in a very rural area where there's, you know, there aren't many people. So they were super excited. And you know, for us, it's not about the numbers. Um, some events are huge. We could have, for example, the Columbus Zoo or the Toronto Zoo, which participate with 3,000 people, or we could wow. have oh, a group in Louisiana with 10, or we could have a single person doing something on their own uh, and have one. Yeah, they post it to social media, and as long as they're excited about it and they get people around them excited about it. Yeah, and as long as it gets them, you know, more aware of birds, I mean, that's that's our whole thing. You know, we're, we're typically, through World Migratory Bird Day, we're typically bringing new people in to learning about birds. A lot of our participants are not experienced birders yet. Uh, some of them are, but not all of them. Um, but um, th that's the beauty of it is it's really, a, it's really an event that reaches out to people who want to learn about birds, but um, maybe aren't you know, ready to, or don't have binoculars, or aren't ready to do a full birding trip or something like that. So hmm. that, that's really a key component of our audience. Well, that's awesome. And um, I, must, I bet it must be so rewarding at the end um, of a year to look back at all the pictures and everything and see how many people are engaged. And um, do you guys all ever look at like the eBird data to see if, uh, if what kind of impact you might've had in an area? Well, like I said, um, ours isn't so much of a, a birding event. Mm -hmm. We do bird watching and we do more education about how to bird watch. Okay. Uh, we aren't necessarily submitting data to eBird. Uh, more what we're doing is we're encouraging learning about birds, learning about bird watching, and learning how to conserve birds. Yeah, the... Um... E-birds e always stuck in our head because that's always our first, <laughs> whenever we think of birds, we think of like listing and everything yeah. initially. But um, yeah, the co conservation and ed education about conservation is like huge. That's, and, and getting these uh, people that have never been birding and never thought about conservation to start thinking about it is, is definitely important and can definitely be a rewarding, a rewarding thing to be, to be doing. Yeah, you can consider us, you know, like the gateway to birding. <laughs> 
Well, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Is there any um, last minute or, you know, uh, information that we didn't cover that you think people should know? Sure. I'd love people to know about our birddaylive.com website where we have a list of all the activities that are taking place over the weekend for World Migratory Bird Day. We have guests and presenters from Colombia, from Venezuela, from the Caribbean. Uh, we have a bird book club. We have story time. Um, we'll have a discussion about nocturnal song. Uh, we have a whole hours of hours of activities for people uh, to participate in this weekend, especially since a lot of the parks and outdoor places are not allowing group birding. Well, great. Yeah, we'll add that into our show notes so people can access it thank and you. participate. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, well, th and th thank you so much for uh, virtually sitting down with us to, to, to talk about this. <laughs> Most comfortable interview I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Susan, uh, for joining us to learn more about um, the event that the Environment for the Americas puts on, and as well as all the other organizations. I think I looked one year, and they had like 700 events that were registered oh my gosh. for that that time That's, period. Their, their, their website is just packed full of so much information, so many different, like, there's a bunch of different tabs, and then once you, once you start kind of diving down, you see, like, there's all these different locations. There's an interactive map to see locations. There activities near you so there's so much going on this weekend and not just not just going on a bird watching like what we're going to do but we're, we'll probably also kind of peruse the the education things and see if there's something that we can do in the evening or in the morning before we get going well and especially with that bird day live that she told yeah. us about i had never seen that website before but that's a cool website yeah and there's a lot of great speakers that are going to be doing um you know segments on that day including uh one of the gals that we know jenny duberstein oh who, she's doing one mm -hmm, oh. she's doing one yeah huh. so we'll definitely have to check some of those out you know maybe when the birds aren't really working out for us but also yeah when we have some some additional time available on uh, may 9th so that's super cool and if you do work in a nature center or an audubon or you know volunteer or anything like that make sure to check out the world migratory bird day um for this year and also in the future to see if there's a way that you can participate in some of these events you know host your own event and list it there too so you know every spot can be birdied that day yeah the entire the entire world can just be full of bird events. bird stuff <laughs> bird events from every from everywhere around the edge, edges um so that was that was exciting that was that was my second time doing uh <laughs> zoom and it i think it worked out a little bit better it was much better it, honey. it, it was a little tell, tell us in the in the in the reviews just let us know on facebook or on twitter or wherever you guys are the worst I hate you. I don't know why I listen. <laughs> um, well, we promise we'll get back to like doing face-to-face -face interviews as soon as it's safe to do so. Yeah. It's, and they're they're more they're more fun because <laughs> you can actually interact with people. And uh, like Jenna and Susan both said, you know things are changing this year because of the pandemic, and unfortunately, you know you can't have a lot of events right now. Um, but there are some things that people are doing to modify what they're, you know, the events so they can still have them and still engage with people, just not, just maybe virtually instead of in person. So there have been a couple, um, events like the World Series of Birding this year. They're doing, uh, they're spreading out their event, making it a little bit more virtual as well. And so they have 
a whole bunch of stuff that's going on during the or in the whole Atlantic flyaway that they're inviting people to participate in the World Series of Birding, and that's actually the Saturday to the ninth. Oh, it's the ninth too. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. It's another another big day, big day of big days. Yeah, and there was a couple um, festivals that canceled uh, during the you know since our last episode, like the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival, which is the festival that we go to every year. So we're super bummed about that. But of course, that's a really difficult decision. And you know, I think it was the right one, given the amount of t- time and planning it takes. Like I, they put. I know they put a ton of thought. They put a ton of thought into everything down there. But I know they put a ton of thought into this, and it's. It, it's it's the right decision and i definitely stand 100 percent behind them that it's there's there's a lot of old people there's a lot of us that are a lot of guys that are old a lot of participants that are old there's a lot of planning it's not involved. just old it's, people though i know well and we and we're going to interact it's, it's yeah there's a lot of danger there's there's a lot of potential for danger and the fact that it takes so long to plan these things just to plan with not knowing what's going going to happen it's just not it's not feasible and not realistic so anyways, so that festival is canceled and also Space Coast, uh, which is in January in Florida, that one just recently canceled too. But a lot of these fef- festivals, like I said, are doing virtual things. So if there's a festival that you really want to go to that got that was canceled, make sure to follow them and see if they're doing virtual events that maybe you can participate in that way. Uh, but also a lot of these events are fundraisers and they're not going to be able to make the, you know, the money that they were going to. I know Indiana Dunes Birding Festival, which we were supposed to be at in two weeks, uh, they're doing a, an auction right now. So make sure to check those local organizations because if you were going to go to those festivals, you were going to, you know, donate money mm-hmm. to the, the organization. Spend money that a lot of times is a donation. Yeah, so make sure to check them out because they're hurting too right now. And if you have a little extra, you might consider... Um, Helping out one of these bird organizations so they can make it through. Yeah, yeah might, might, as, might as well spend your money on direct conservation or direct, if you direct, have it. If, no shame if, if you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. If, if, if you were gonna, if you were, had the money earmarked already for travel, you might as well. It's 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 a sunk cost. It's already gone. You might as well. Might as well. <laughs> that's just how you it. look at money. That's how I look at money. So there, there's some money that you have, <laughs> I and there's some money you already spent, and there's so. some money that you've basically already <laughs> spent. So th- okay. th- those are the two categories of money: the money you have and the money you've already spent or will have already spent. <laughs> so, anyways, um, so there's that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we wish you health and happiness and good birds. And Eric, do you have any um, any positives to to end our episode with? Well, my mouth doesn't hurt today. Well, that's good. <laughs> you want me to punch it? No, that's okay. I okay. I, I think I can go back I can to solid foods. <laughs> do, do you have any? Do you have any hoorays or positives for today? Um, I. This is really silly, but there's this really good birding spot that's called Boiler Bay. That's like three hours south, two hours south of us yeah. on the coast. And I thought about going there and seeing whales when we were out birding the other day. And I know we didn't go because it's closed and everything, but it just made me happy to think about whales. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my hooray, is that we have whales in the world. <laughs> All right, then. Yep. Well. It's the existence value. It makes me happy because the, I know it exists. There, the, it's, existence value is real. Yeah, it is. It's very important, too. So thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something. Please rate, review, and subscribe us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, Facebook, anywhere else you listen to us. 
Um, if you'd like to connect with us on the socials, you can follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Go Birding. Goes Hannah birding with an H. On Instagram, Hannah with an H, Eric with a K. Um, our Twitter is at We Go Birding and on our Facebook page, which is Hannah and Eric Go Birding. Or you can email us, hannahandericgobirding at gmail.com. Or you can even check out our website, which is gobirdingpodcast.com. So thank you and uh, happy birding. <laughs>